Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Friday, December 17th, 2021. On today's episode, we're going to have a spoiler-filled discussion about Spider-Man No Way Home. This is Slash Film Editorial Director Peter Serena. And joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. So, if you have not seen Spider-Man No Way Home, I think it's fair to say that we both think that... Go yeah, you you both you should definitely go away if if you if you don't feel comfortable going to see it in the movie theater. I feel bad because I'm guessing it will be spoiled for you by the time it hits Disney Plus or wherever it ends up. Although I will but, suggest uh, if you if you can, one of the best options you can take advantage of if you have enough people is to do a private screening. I know AMC theaters is still doing them. The cost varies based on your market. But Spider-Man No Way Home is one of the titles you can select for a private screening where you and up to 20 people uh, can have your own theater where nobody else can be in it except for you guys. So if you get enough people, you can make it so that the ticket probably costs even less than a normal ticket would if you saw it with the general public. It's a, it's a very good idea. Huh. Yeah, that's a good suggestion. Um, okay, so we both saw the film. Let's say, actually, before we we get into our reactions and stuff, let's just say that um, let's talk about the box office really quick because this film came out last night. Came out on a Thursday night. It wasn't even playing for a full day. I think the first screenings were what, like four p.m. or something like that. Three, I, I, here there was three p.m. So three p.m. Okay, yeah. first <laughs> screenings maybe three p.m. It did fifty million dollars on its opening Thursday night, which is insane. Uh, to give you an idea, uh, this is the third highest preview number ever recorded. This is behind only Avengers Endgame, which did sixty million, and Star Wars: Force Awakens, which did fifty-seven million. And uh, I think what's even more surprising about this, with this being a Spider-Man movie, is Spider-Man: Far From Home, the last movie in this franchise had a 92 million dollar opening weekend and i think this is trending towards what are they saying right now 100 at least 150 if not uh closer to 180 
million dollars for its opening weekend. So that's higher than any Spider-Man movie to date. You know, Spider-Man three, I think, was the highest with like 150 million. So this is going to shatter that. And it's still during, uh, uh, you know, a pandemic. Uh, I will say, though, I mean, I so I think the Thursday numbers, it might not be quite as impressive as it might seem like, because since the, the previews screenings did start at three o'clock, that kind of gave them like a big jump on <laughs> like the previous preview screening, because usually Thursday preview screenings don't start until like seven o'clock at night. And so, so by starting at three o'clock and having showtimes happening roughly every half hour, you're getting a lot more screenings in. But at the same time, even though there are more screenings, not all of those screenings are probably as packed as they otherwise would be because the pandemic is still keeping some people away from theaters. So I'm, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a good number, but I think that it's probably boosted by having more screenings on Thursday than typical Thursday night previews. Oh, for sure. Okay. Let's stop talking about business. Let's talk about the actual movie. I'm sure many of you listening have seen the film. Again, if you haven't seen the film, tune out now because we're going full spoiler mode. Um, both Brad and I saw it this past week, and uh, let's start off with our brief reactions. I'll give you mine really quick first. Um, as someone who grew up reading the Spider-Man comic books and reading comic books in general, I don't think I ever thought – well, first of all, I never thought I would see an Avengers film on the big screen where you have all these different heroes and their established movies combining into one film. But on top of that, I never thought I would see something like this. This is a crossover event that happens, I want to say often in the comic books, but it happens a a bunch in the comic books. It's always so exciting and so, so much fun to see all these different characters from different multiverses, villains come back all into like one big story. Like I'm reminded of, I mean, in the villain respect, maybe like the long Halloween or hush. Um, It's always like this kind of epic thing. And to see this on the big screen and for it to work on the level that it did, like, first of all, this is playing off um, what uh, I guess 20 years of of movies that we've been watching of these characters and uh it it was just so so well done uh i i did want to talk about our thoughts on the 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 last two movies too i i was a big fan of homecoming far from home left a, a bad taste in my mouth especially with uh how peter parker was unmasked in the marvel cinematic universe it seemed kind of very gimmicky and uh, it just happened so quick and i feel like this movie <laughs> is worth it to me to to me as someone who didn't like the end of that film this movie is a satisfying continuation of that and uh yeah no i i just loved it i loved everything with all the spider-men all the uh seeing doc ock seeing um uh willem dafoe it's seeing seeing everybody back together again but, Brad, what are your thoughts on this movie? Uh, yeah, I, I love this movie too. Um, I first I'll talk about my feelings on the first two movies, and um, I'm mostly on the same page with you. I think Homecoming is great, um, and I love how it balances the high school Peter Parker stuff with the the Spider Man stuff. 
um, and how it integrates his story into to Tony Stark's and makes him a mentor for Peter Parker and uh, just does a nice job of balancing street level stuff with big superhero stuff. And then the second movie gets even bigger. And I think that's kind of where um, it goes wrong a little bit. I, I think Jake Gyllenhaal is great as Mysterio. I like um, the concept of him trying to step in and like being a mentor to Peter Parker and then betraying him. And I didn't have a problem with the identity reveal at the end. I actually liked the shocking twist of that happening because I don't think anybody expected it, especially with the return of J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah Jameson, which was a lot of fun. Um, and I, it, it does set up, you know, what is needed for for this sequel, which I absolutely uh, loved. I think that the the first half is a little bit clumsy and maybe too fast in trying to, like, get things set up for what is this huge um, last hour of the movie. Uh, it, it has to do a lot of things very quickly to help to help set that up. Um, there's probably enough here where they could have done two movies even though one of the movies probably wouldn't have been that great. And the other one would have been really good. Um, <laughs> but like uh, I, it's so much, it, like you said, it's so much fun to see these different franchises colliding and bringing certain characters back. Um, and then we'll talk about this more specifically, but just the idea of bringing in the, the two other big screen Spider-Men uh, and how they all work together in surprisingly emotional uh, and rewarding ways was something that was so satisfying to see on top of just the blockbuster spectacle of it all. And uh, I'm, yeah, I think this was just, this is a really cool way to end this trilogy of Spider-Man movies and set up uh, a new chapter for Tom Holland that uh, feels like it could be something that finally lets him stand alone as Spider-Man. Yeah. I can't wait to talk about that because this, th- this movie does leave, that character in a place that I was like, wow, I was not expecting. We'll get to that, I guess. Um, let's start off, uh, I guess, at the beginning. Um, what should we talk about? I, I guess Doctor Strange being a dick, but a dick willing to risk the entire universe on a teenage kid <laughs> casting its spell. Um, I mean, to be here's the thing. I think a lot of people are saying that like Doctor Strange is being reckless, but that's not a new character trait. He's been reckless since the first Doctor Strange. Immediately, the first thing he does is get a book that he's not supposed to open and mess with the time stone, which he's not supposed to do. <laughs> so he's he's always been that guy. And in this yeah. case, I, I think that it's it's not entirely his fault because he was trying to do the spell in the most simple way possible, and Peter is the one who made it much more complicated so the only way he ends up being a bit more of a dick is because he tries to stop peter from helping the villains turn good or trying to fix their problem instead of letting them go back and die and that's where he's in the wrong for the most part yeah um okay let's talk about the the, one of the big surprises in this film and this is one of those things like you know i i can't help myself brad i i eat up all the spoilers i uh, read all the speculation and this is you know, I knew about the Spider-Man like a year and a half, maybe two years ago at this point. Like that's something I it, it, it still played for me so well on the big screen. Um, but one thing that early on someone told me was that Daredevil was going to appear in this movie. And it was one of those things that like was passed along to me. And I was like, nah, that's not true. This is like one of the 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 BS rumors that somehow makes its way into the world until uh, there were some leaked photos a couple weeks back that I think confirmed it or had us thinking it might be true because, you know, you never know with photoshops and deep fakes nowadays. 
But uh, Brad, what did you think of Matt Murdock appearing in the MCU? Uh, you know, this was something that I was somewhat expecting as well because it had been rumored and all that, you know, basically just everything that you said. But I um, I didn't think that it was necessarily going to be a big deal. And I, I'm honestly not still sure that it is because part of it kind of just feels like it's like feeding into like, OK, you know, fans wanted to see, you know, <laughs> a little bit more connection to the TV shows. Daredevil is the best of that group. So let's, you know, bring Matt Murdock in here for a little cameo. But at the same time. With everything that's happening in Hawkeye, you know, maybe they're thinking about trying to fold in, you know, Daredevil in in there. Um, Or, you know, there's since there's variants and stuff like that in, you know, the multiverse, maybe this is these are just different versions of those characters. Who who knows? We're still waiting to figure all that out. But (laughs) it was a nice inclusion. It was a a fun little cameo appearance. And uh, yeah, I I just I liked it for what it was. Yeah, I also think that if you're going to have a lawyer in the MCU, what? It, it would be better off having Matt Murdock or Foggy Nelson, you know, having one of the characters that's been established in that show than just having some random actor cast in in that role. And I'm assuming I don't know anything here. This is not, not based on anything I've read or heard, but I'm assuming that we're probably going to see more of Matt Murdock in She-Hulk because that takes place in the courtroom and why not? And maybe Echo based on the connection that she has uh, to Kingpin. Yeah, it's certainly but, possible. Um, yeah, so, uh, but it, it was fun to see him show up in, in this one scene here, and uh, my theater kind of gasped when he appeared on screen. I, I don't think people, uh, this is one of those, I feel like a lot of people went into this movie, I would bet that 95% of people went into this movie knowing there was other Spider-Men in this movie, but they didn't know Daredevil. So that, that kind of shocks some people. Um, okay, I guess let's let's talk about the villains. Um, how great was it seeing the villains all back together? I, I mean, I guess it was more great seeing the villains from the Spider from the Sam Raimi Spider Man movies than the Amazing Spider Man movies because those villains were bad. And it it's funny how um, how Jamie Fox wasn't even blue and didn't even look like the character because he didn't want want to look like a chump or whatever he said uh, this time around. So they, they just came up with some explanation for him to have like a totally different look. And then you have, uh, yeah. W- what do you think of the whole villain lineup here? I guess there's five villains. Yes. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I feel the exact same way. It was awesome to see Sam Raimi's, uh, best villains back in this movie and uh, Alfred Molina is outstanding as usual but man Willem Dafoe is definitely the the one who pretty much almost steals the movie you know if it wasn't for the rest of the the Spider-Men of it all because man he just gives it all and he is fully back as Norman Osborn and Green Goblin it was just a riot to see him and uh, yeah they, the way they use them in this movie works uh, really well and I, I like what they do um, with trying to uh, redeem them and like extending their stories and figuring out, you know, how to make it so that they're not just, you know, um, villains who are dispatched with so thoughtlessly in a way. Yeah. And it, it's, it's almost sad to see them go again <laughs> because I feel like with the, the arc of like Norman Osborn in particular, it, it would have been cool to see him stick around the MCU and maybe like play that like Tony Stark role, like, or maybe like a, the key role for for Spider Man, like coming up with new tech that he could use or something like that. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess that's not meant to be. Um, 
I guess let's talk about the Spider-Men of it all. What did you think of how Andrew and how Toby first appear in this? Yeah, I was surprised that they appeared so early. Um, and it was it was a very cool introduction for, for them both for a multitude of reasons. First of all, because of, you know, what they do with Ned as a character is, is pretty exciting. But yeah, just the, the manner in which they appear and uh, seeing them back in, you know, their own respective Spider-Man and Peter Parker modes. Um, yeah, it's just, it, it's, this is one of those things where like, it's kind of a miracle that it came together and that it worked like like this you know um and i hope that someone soon will be talking will be able to talk to andrew garfield and toby mcguire about all of this and how it came together and just the feeling of doing all these scenes and um and i think what i appreciate the most um for bringing the spider other spider-men into this is how it acts as kind of an epilogue for their characters of showing us where they are in the year since their franchise, it's it's much more interesting with Tobey Maguire because obviously a lot more time has passed for him. Uh, but even with Andrew Garfield, you know what they do with his character arc and how it redeems things that happened in his own franchise, and I think also redeems Andrew Garfield's place, you know, in comic book movie history because it finally gives him something <laughs> meaningful and significant to do as Spider-Man. Because those movies, even though they have their fans, they were largely seen as disappointments. And Andrew Garfield has talked about how you know it was a, a complicated deal that kind of sullied his uh excitement about doing something that he had dreamed about for so long and i think that this finally gave him something to really latch onto and uh allowed him to play the spider-man that he always wanted to be yeah no i i think both those of the last movies spider-man 3 and the amazing spider-man 2 were not great conclusions for those characters and this movie actually gives both of those characters uh their a, a good conclusion especially Andrew Garfield I I just rewatched the amazing Spider-Man and the amazing Spider-Man 2 because Kitra had never seen them and she's about to see No Way Home this weekend and um first of all the amazing Spider-Man 1 much better movie than I remember it being the 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 stuff with um uh the lizard not good. None, none of that stuff is good. But everything else I really, really like. The stuff with um, Andrew Garfield, Emma Stone, uh, Amazing Spider-Man 2, much, much, much worse than I remember being. I don't even remember being good, but it was, it was bad. Um, so, yeah, but I, I like that it, it kind of gives Andrew Garfield the vindication of, you know, being able to save, uh, save you know, he had that um, the Gwen Stacy death death and uh amazing spider-man 2 and here he has like a vindication on that um I-, I love seeing these three together as much as it is kind of like a fan service moment of seeing them around the statue of liberty like having these conversations about like how uh you know toby mcguire spider-man doesn't have the web shooters he just like shoots from his hands and how that's weird compared to them and like having i don't know it's just all these like very cool comic booky conversations that I don't know. I feel like fan service is is a bad word these days, but it was just such a delight to hang out with them together for just a, a bit of time. Yeah, I mean, it was it was fan service that worked. You know, like I think fan service is only bad when it feels like it's not earned or that it's just in your face and forced. And uh, in this case, I think it it all worked really well and it was sold by the performances and the dynamic between all three of them interacting together. 
Okay, I have a question for you. Do you think this is the last we will see of Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man? Um, I think Tobey Maguire, absolutely. Andrew Garfield, part of me makes me wonder because he's so good in this movie that maybe if there's a way for them to like bring him back in some capacity and continue his franchise, but... I just don't know if the the interest is there. Maybe there will be an, a boost in interest after after this movie, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I feel like Sony's already going to have their hands full with continuing the Tom Holland franchise, so I feel like this was probably like the a way to really like give each of the franchises like a full you know ending, as it were. Well, I'm wondering if like you know because it looks like Sony is making a deal with Disney and Marvel for, I mean, they have one, one more film with Tom Holland, but Amy Pascal said that there's a Spider-Man trilogy that they are working together. She, she verbally says this, even though there's not a, a, according to Tom Rothman, a legal contract for it. Um, That seems to leave Spider-Man out of playing in the, the, the Sony spider verse of sorts for a little bit while, a little while. And that makes me wonder if, Maybe Sony, if if they want someone to play with Venom and Morbius and stuff like that, maybe they could get Toby or or Andrew. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure <laughs> if that would be if they would be interested in working in the Sony Spider Verse. But uh, okay, uh, let's talk about I guess uh, the big death here. Aunt May dies, um, and it's it's kind of funny because uh, and uh, I'm I'm stealing this. Um, uh from Dan G who has this uh the spider um spider talk podcast and he he says that it's funny that this that this spider man trilogy was kind of set up as the spider man trilogy uh, spider man uh the version of the spider man movies that we don't need the origin story we don't need the uncle ben thing and by the end of this this trilogy, it, it's basically become his origin story. And, you know, uh, Uncle Ben has been replaced with Aunt May, and this is sending him in on his way. This is almost like the, the first act of of this version of Spider-Man's story, which I think is very interesting. I, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's a nice spin on it. I'm glad they didn't retread too much familiar territory, even though they still bring in, you know, the great power, great responsibility, kind of line um it it is weird to imagine you know spider-man without uncle ben this kind of makes it seem like uh you know that he's maybe not an important part in peter's life here as you know um he is in other iterations especially the ones that we see in this movie as well um but yeah I, i like them pivoting that to to aunt may to kind of vary up the the details of his background yeah and that great responsibility line is actually how it's written in the comic books, it's not the one that we've heard many times in the movies, which is kind of a, a rewrite of, of that line. So that's kind of cool. Um, okay, so let's talk about the end of this film because this is mostly this isn't really a review uh, podcast per se. This is more of us uh, t- talking about the spoilers. Um, th- the way this movie ends is with a magical spell being cast that w- basically makes everybody what well, sends everybody that was out from other multiverses back into their multiverses. And it also makes everybody that rem- that knew Peter Parker was Spider-Man forget his identity. So this includes 
uh, all of the Avengers. This includes MJ. This includes Ned. Uh, what did you think? It, this was, I think, the biggest surprise to me. I didn't. When you start the movie of everybody knows Peter Parker Spider Man, for some reason I didn't see it going to the point that we were going to end this movie with nobody knowing Peter Parker Spider Man. Yeah, I mean, this is a huge development for Peter Parker because I, I think a lot of the, the the complaints about the new Spider-Man franchise with Tom Holland is that he's never really gotten a movie properly to himself. You know, the first one, Tony Stark, was such a big part of it. The second one, Mysterio, was a big part of it, as well as, you know, him being on this, like, overseas mission with uh, the help of, quote-unquote, Nick Fury. Um, and then this one, you know, obviously Doctor Strange is a big part of it, and the entry of these other spider-man villains and the two other spider-men so like tom holland has kind of been outshined even though he's been great as peter parker this whole time and so now with none of the traditional characters knowing that he's spider-man and now that he's has a completely new suit and he's not relying on tony stark technology anymore we're getting tom holland out on his own uh his own apartment his own new suit and he's Spider-Man without any of the normal concerns that he has. You know, I, I feel like he's going to be going back to being kind of like uh, a street level superhero in a way. And I'm hoping that we're going to get like a trilogy of movies where Spider-Man is really has to figure things out on his own because he doesn't have those crutches and those people to to help him. And I think it'll uh, allow for um, a more mature approach to his character as he starts to grow up. Well, you mentioned all those cameos from that, or not cameos, those appearances from MCU uh, heroes, and Tom Rothman has, you know, shed some light onto that. That it's a, it's a one for them, one for us scenario where, in order for Marvel to produce the Spider-Man movies, they basically have to commit to giving Sony one of their characters in exchange. So, you know, Iron Man being, or like. Uh, Robert Downey Jr., I guess, in, in the first one. The second one, I guess, would be Nick Fury. Uh, and this one, it's, it's you know, uh, Benedict as Doctor Strange. I like what you're saying, Brad, but I'm wondering if they can avoid having all these MCU characters in the, in the future Spider-Man movies. I mean, it probably all depends on what happens in the movies between now and when they start figuring out that the, the new Spider-Man trilogy because i think that um because dr strange and the multiverse of madness is going to probably have a pretty large effect on things that happen in the future and since this movie has a lot of big ties to that that will kind of give us an idea of where we'll be going and what the state of the larger marvel cinematic universe will be because um it's when uh, sony and marvel rekindled their deal to share spider-man for spider-man no way home that deal included an appearance for Tom Holland to be Peter Parker and Spider-Man in another Marvel Studios title that wasn't a Spider-Man movie. And I'm assuming that's going to be Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness because of just how crazy that movie is supposed to be and how it deals with the multiverse. So if that's the case, I think we'll have to see how that goes before heading into, you know, uh, Spider-Man's own new franchise. Yeah, yeah. Um, I will say that this, it almost seems like the way that this film wraps things up, except for the Venom post credit scene, it almost seems like this was being prepared as the last Spider-Man franchise, uh, Spider-Man movie in the MCU. Like it, it seems to like wrap everything up in a bow in a way. Um, but okay, let's talk about. Um, so he gets a new New York City apartment 
and Ned and MJ are moving to Boston to go to MIT. So does that mean that they're not going to be in the next movie? I don't think that that's necessarily the case, even though we'll see Peter Parker venturing out and he doesn't have MJ and Ned by his side. I'm willing to bet that they'll eventually come back around in his life in some capacity. Um, and that maybe that'll be something that they'll slowly build to some kind of reconciliation um, as that those new presumed, you know, three movies come along. Cause I can't imagine you're going to ditch, you know, those two important relationships in Peter Parker's life entirely. I think you probably give him a movie to like venture out on his own. And then you slowly start bringing those characters back into his life somehow. And maybe even the events of whatever happens in the larger MCU will make it so that um, that spell, the Dr. Strange cast doesn't have to be uh, permanent. Maybe they'll, you know, something will happen that will, will change that, you know, who knows? So you're, you're saying they're going to do what they did with far from home where they introduce this big twist. And then by the end of the next movie, it'll all be fixed. I mean, this it's, you know, it seems like it's a, a cheap thing, but it's also like a trademark of comic books, you know, things that yeah. are done that seem permanent always get undone. I think the problem with movies is that it's such a shorter time span for something like that to be reversed that maybe it feels more like a cheap gimmick than it does in comics because comics at least give you time to sit with it because it takes, you know, longer for a story arc to play out in comic book form. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, I feel like it has to be undone in some capacity, whether it's by undoing the spell or just reintroducing the characters into his life. You know, I think that they have to, to become part of the franchise again, for sure. Okay. Brad, you know that I'm a logistical thinker. I, I need things, uh, to make sense, even though when, you know, there's magic here, does it need to make sense? Probably not, but I, I want you to help me get through this. So is Spider-Man no longer part of the Avengers with this spell? And I ask that because uh, Ned and MJ no longer know Peter Parker in that, that last, in that scene in the movie. And I'm assuming it's not like Ned is still the man in the chair for Spider-Man, right? Like, so he has forgotten his relationship with Spider-Man as well. So does that mean... Does that mean the Avengers also don't remember Spider-Man being with them during, like, you know, the events of Endgame and stuff like that? Or does that just mean that they remember him as Spider-Man and don't remember him as Peter Parker? Like, how, how does it work out? Well, it's so they've everyone has forgotten Peter Parker now, right? Like, he's just not yeah. part of their lives. So I, I guess they're probably aware of Spider-Man since Spider-Man still exists in the world, but they just have no idea who Peter Parker is and that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. So I think that answers the question. So you're saying that he's still part of the Avengers, but the other Avengers don't know that he's Peter Parker. Yes. Well, so why did that? It's kind of complicated, right? Yeah. I mean, I guess they could still easily be, be aware of Spider-Man and not know that it's Peter Parker because no one has forgotten Spider-Man. Yeah. But I guess a big part of Spider-Man being part of the Avengers was like, they do know who he is, but Dr. Strange himself did say that when he did the spell that even he would forget who he is. So I guess maybe he, yeah, maybe he's not part of the Avengers anymore. 
But then, like, so does Ned remember helping Peter Parker? I mean, oh, sorry, not Peter Parker. Does he remember helping Spider-Man during the scenarios that he was, like, the man in the chair? No, probably not. I assume anything having to do with Spider-Man has, like, that when he knew that Peter Parker was Spider-Man has been wiped from his his memory, however that works. Okay, and another complicated uh, logistical thing that I was left when I left this movie was the Venom after credit scene, which you wrote up on the site. I'll put the link in the show notes. Um, so for those of you who have not seen Venom to let there be carnage, there was a scene. Do you want to describe the scene of what happened at the end of that film? Because I actually have not even seen that. film. Yeah. So at the end of Venom, let there be carnage. Um, we see Eddie and Venom chilling out on a beach on a some kind of resort somewhere after the events of the second movie. And they're talking about eventually going somewhere else to see who they can help, you know, with their abilities and whatnot. Um, and so the credit scene is them hanging out at this resort that they're in, in a hotel room. And uh, Eddie is talking to just Venom, who's in his head, and he's says that he knows, you know, so many secrets about the the universe that it would blow his mind. And he, so Eddie's like, well, tell me some of them. And just as he's about to do that, like the room around them kind of like phases in like a very static kind of way. And the room goes from being like this crappy hotel room to a more upscale uh, resort room. And they're like, Eddie's very confused. And um, initially you think it's something that maybe had to do with Venom, but he's like, he's like, no, this wasn't me. He's like, I don't know what, what happened. And then on the TV, they see a report from J. Jonah Jameson talking about Peter Parker being Spider-Man. And Venom is strangely entranced by the appearance uh, of Peter Parker as Spider-Man on the TV for some reason. And so the, the mid credit scene for Spider-Man No Way Home kind of directly follows up on that because it, uh, it shows Eddie Brock and Venom still at this resort, but they're at a bar this time. And he's talking about he's basically recounting what he's just been told by the bartender there, which is the existence of the Avengers people. Uh, he says like a billionaire in a tin suit and a really angry green guy. Uh, and then he talks about, he's like, he's like, well, well, tell me again about the purple alien who wanted, wanted the stones. And so he's getting caught up on all these things that have happened in the MCU. And so then just when he starts uh, kind of drunkenly thinking about, well, maybe I need to go find this Spider-Man in New York. All of a sudden, Venom and Eddie get phased out of the MCU again and disappear just like all the other villains and Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire's Peter Parker's did at the end of Spider-Man No Way Home. But uh, as we see, and as the camera lingers at the bar, a tiny bit of the symbiote goop has been left behind on the bar. And even though it's sitting still at first, it suddenly starts to move at the very end of the scene, which uh, brings the symbiote material into the MCU. Yeah, uh, I, I like how this kind of bookends that that Venom 2 end credit scene, which led many people to believe that it was going to be it was setting up a Venom and Spider-Man movie. And now it seems to just like that. Sony and Marvel have taken that possibility off the table uh, with with this. But the, the, the thing that I was kind of left leaving the theater, I, I was kind of like, this doesn't make any sense because in the movie when Dr. Strange does a spell and it brings all these villains from other multiverses in, it's supposedly because it brings those people in that knew Peter's knew Spider-Man's identity of Peter Parker and Venom never 
the, the, this version of Venom, uh, played by Tom Hardy, never knew Peter Parker's identity as Spider-Man. So I was like, that doesn't quite make any sense. And why would he disappear at the end? Um, but I, I have gotten an answer to this, Brad. I, I have um, Screen Crush actually provided a, a good explanation of this. And what it is, is in that Venom 2 end credit scene, when uh, the symbiote is talking to Eddie Brock, it basically says, like, I I know things about other multiverses and stuff like that. And the, the theory going around is that basically this alien symbiote is in a multi-dimensional uh, symbiote that, like, it communicates across different multiverses. So this symbiote, even though it's it's part of this uh, – this Tom Hardy's uh, Eddie Brock is also knowing of the stuff that happened with the symbiote in Spider-Man three. So because of that, Tom Hardy's venom gets sucked in because he, he, uh, he, he, he knows that Peter Parker's Spider-Man. So that's the explanation of how that works. And then by in that scene, he does actually see like the, the rest of the world on the, TV sees uh, Tom Holland unmasked as Spider-Man, as Peter Parker, and thus at Mm. the end of the movie, when things are set into motion to correct things, he gets sent back to his multiverse because he is one of the people that got sucked in. That does seem like a reasonable explanation, because Venom doesn't say multiverse stuff, but he says he just has, he knows things from other, about you know, other universes that would blow Eddie's mind. Um, yeah. But the reason I didn't necessarily buy into it being part of it is because he, you know, it's, ex- it's explained away when the room changes around him. He's like, I, I don't know. I didn't do, do, do any of this, but I guess just having, <laughs> if he has knowledge of what has happened in other universes, then maybe that could be, that could be it. I well, guess. here's, the, here's the other thing. Like in that original scene in Venom two, when Spider-Man appears on the TV screen, he like touches the TV or he, Licks the TV or whatever he does, he says, "Oh, him!" Like he knows. No, he says, him. "No, well, it's yeah." That's why I said when I talked about the scene is like, there's no explanation as to why he's strangely entranced by by Peter. All of a sudden, when he sees him, he's like Eddie. Eddie's like, "What?" And he he like gets at the TV and like he's fully venom and he's like that guy. And it's like, okay, weirdo. <laughs> yeah. So so I think. Uh... I don't know. Does there really need to be logic to explain an after credit sequence kind of joke fun scene? Probably I mean, not, but I, th- I think yes, there is an kind of. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, does this open the door for a new MCU Venom? Um, I mean, yeah. Like that, I think that's the whole reason why they had the symbiote left behind is they're probably setting up um the presumed use of the symbiote and doing the symbiote story with tom holland's peter parker which would be nice because uh they kind of botched it with the spider-man 3 um you know sam raimi famously didn't really like venom as a character and was kind of forced into using him because sony knew that's what fans wanted to see and that's a big part of why the character doesn't work very well um but i yeah i think that they'll they'll probably end up doing some version of the symbiote and venom story at some point in the the next series of Spider-Man movies. It's weird if they continue it with this like little bit of symbiote that was left from an end credit scene. I don't know. It seems like such a weird way to like 
have the origin of Venom in the MCU as like this kind of it was part of the jokes series of end credit scenes. Yeah, I mean it's I'm sure that they'll 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 introduce it in a different you know a different way or like give it yeah. a more proper introduction in like a movie at some point. But yeah, I mean plenty of things have been introduced in credits. I mean the first time we got a glimpse of Thanos was in a credit scene, you know, so for sure. And the end credit scene here is actually a trailer, it's a, or I guess a teaser of sorts. It's for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And this isn't the first time that that Marvel has done a trailer in the credits. I actually had to go back and look this up, but um, Captain America First Avenger had a trailer for Avengers at the end of it. And um, I guess you can consider... Uh, what was it? Spider-Man Far From Home had a first look at Into the Spider-Verse. It was one of those Spider-Man movies had an Into the Spider-Verse trailer like teaser at the end of it. So this is, I guess, the third time that this has happened. Um, what, did, what did you think of this trailer? Um, I think it's pretty good. You know, it's definitely a teaser. There's not really a lot of story details that are revealed, except, you know, something... Uh, there's consequences to what Doctor Strange did in Spider-Man No Way Home. He needs uh, Wanda's help for, for some of it uh, because of her abilities now as, as Scarlet Witch. Um, Mordo is back. She would E.G. Force character from the first Doctor Strange, and he's in, in villain mode. He's got cool dreadlocks. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of interesting threads here, especially the uh, appearance of a different Doctor Strange, uh, seemingly kind of a, a riff on the evil Doctor Strange that we saw in Marvel's What If, although I'm sure there won't necessarily be like a full-on connection between the animated series and and the live action. Um, but there is a, a second Doctor Strange here, and maybe even more, who knows? With the, this being the multiverse of madness, maybe we'll see several different variants of Doctor Strange uh, entering the fray. But yeah, it's uh, it looks pretty, pretty grim, pretty dark. Um, I will say that there doesn't really seem to be any hint of Sam Raimi's traditional style in this trailer yet so hopefully that's something that we'll see uh as time goes on as we get closer to the release of the movie yeah we also saw gargantos which is that squid like uh um creature from almost from like um uh what am i what am i thinking uh multi not multiverse of madness mountains of madness what's the author's name uh lovecraft, lovecraft. sorry very lovecraftian squid like creature who is is going to be uh one of the bad guys that they fight um this trailer also i think seems to tease that wanda is going to be a bad guy in this something i think we suspected i will say that i think it's possible that the creature could also be shumagorath because okay. you can clearly you can clearly see that the eye is like at the center of the body with tentacles so usually shumagorath i think is a lot bigger than what we saw in in the trailer but it's possible that it could also grow so well the reason why i said gargantos is there was a lego set that came that leaked out last week for the from this movie that had that name on it so oh, okay well that well then that yeah that's yeah. probably confirmation <laughs> but there it, it's possible that the the one that you mentioned might also be in the movie so um one thing that i think i was surprised I've been kind of cynical about how these Marvel TV shows would connect with the MCU movies in that I kind of feel like they're not going to really mention them. It's like, you know, WandaVision starts with Wanda going crazy and at the end kind of <laughs> leaves her going crazy. Um, 
And I thought, like, they're not going to even address the events of Westview. So it was very interesting to see Doctor Strange even mention Westview in this teaser. So I was, I was kind of, I thought that was kind of cool. Um, I'm, I'm glad to be wrong on that. I'm glad that there is going to be, um, and also on the other side of things, I, I've given this example in the past, but like, you know, in Endgame, Captain America gives uh, Falcon the the shield and passes the shield to him. In Falcon and Winter Soldier, he doesn't want to take the shield. He's just Falcon. You know, by the end of that series, spoiler alert, he, you know, accepts the shield and is the new Captain America. Uh, so there's almost no reason for them to address the events of those shows in the movies. So it, it's really cool that they actually mention Westview and I'm hoping that um, maybe Scarlet Witch's kids come into into this plot in some way. Uh, maybe it's the reason why she goes bad. Maybe it's the maybe she wants to go to the other multiverse to to save them because they say still exist somewhere. Um, do you have any other thoughts on the multiverse madness trailer? Uh, no, you know I'm just I'm more curious than than anything to see how how this plays out, and uh, I'm very interested to see how the multiverse continues to uh, to expand in the the MCU, especially because like after thinking about this, I'm. I'm wondering how significant or like if if Peter Parker really if Peter Parker's sacrifice will actually make much of a difference anywhere except for his own life only because so we saw in Loki that the multiverse is being unleashed, right? Yes. So no matter what, the multiverse is coming and it will start to have an impact in the MCU. So has Doctor Strange just kind of like kept it from being unleashed in the MCU a little sooner because it would have been maybe like fast tracked into like some kind of multiverse shattering because of the the spell that he did, you know, or like it, maybe that'll be addressed in Multiverse of Madness because I'm I'm wondering whether you know it's gonna come come into play that like Peter Parker you know could get pissed off he's like so wait a minute I didn't even have to do this to stop you know the multiverse coming because it was coming anyway. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, I I don't think they're going to address that, Brad, because, <laughs> you know, that's two steps backwards. But I, I did want to ask you this other thing, this other logistical thing with the villains. One thing I thought of, you know, by the end of this movie, uh, Peter Parker kind of cures Green Goblin, uh, the character. Well, well everybody. Yeah, everybody. But uh, Green Goblin, I think, has the the biggest um, potential to affect the other movies. So what I'm, what I mean by that is he, he cures Norman Osborn and sends him back to the events of Spider-Man one, the Sam Raimi movie, right? And Spider-Man two and Spider-Man three, the events of those films are so dominoed off of that, especially, you know, Norman's son played by James Franco who becomes uh, kind of a villain in the in, in the third film? All that is like dominoes that dominoes off of that death. So does this mess up Sam Raimi's Spider Man sequels? I guess is what I'm wondering. Yeah, I mean that's that's what's kind of my big question too is like sending uh, Norman Osborn back and so that he's not going to die and be evil anymore means you know that that Peter Parker doesn't have to. Uh, 
inadvertently take responsibility for Norman Osborn's death, which is why Harry gets uh, wants a vendetta against Spider-Man and eventually comes to uh, want to kill Peter Parker when he finds out that he's Spider-Man. So, yeah, I, I wondered myself if, like, when he went back, if that meant that, that like, Tobey Maguire's entire timeline you know would, would change around him and if things would be completely different in in that regard especially since he's clearly been living in real time since that franchise came to an end because he's he's the the older more seasoned spider-man you know so yeah i uh, i was wondering about that too and and i yeah i mean if they were to do to continue either of the spider-man franchises that would be an, an interesting thing to do um kind of like a back to the future spider-man kind, kind of <laughs> kind of riff would, would be would be fun but i have a feeling that they're not gonna worry yeah they're about not that gonna too do much. that um someone did point out to me when i was bringing this up that in Endgame, um smart hulk uh when posed the, it wasn't Endgame. i think it was Endgame. it was one of yeah, the yeah that, that time travel doesn't work that way so yeah so it's basically with knowing what we know f- with what smart hulk said there and w- knowing what we know of the multiverse as presented in the the show Loki, I guess we would have to assume sending Norman Osborn back to that time basically creates a new the, the events. Yeah, so the events of Spider Man two and three still happen in one timeline, but sending him back there creates a branching timeline that where he he lives. Well, and, isn't that isn't that something then that uh, that the TVA would have to deal with? If they were still around. <laughs> True. But they kind yeah. of exist outside of time. So wouldn't they have dealt with it at some point? <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't I don't have the, the, the interest of these questions, Brad. <laughs> but uh, anything else you want to say about Spider Man No Way Home? No, I don't think so. You know, I just um I, I wanna commend like just the fact that like this this movie is kind of a miracle that it a that it even yeah. exists and b that it works so well like to bring all these moving pieces together um to make the resurgence of these characters so significant and meaningful and really like have some genuine emotion into it you know uh, you know i think both andrew garfield and Pete, um toby mcguire bring something like special to this movie and it's not just their mere appearance as you know spider-man and you know having their us uh, experience three spider-man in one movie it's uh i i just love how their stories continue in this movie and it provides a sense of closure for each of them and gives it gives us some um you know a, a story arc that kind of co- comes to an end for for each of them and I, I was caught off guard by just how emotional and rewarding that experience was in addition to seeing them fight <laughs> together and banter and just yeah it was um it really was phenomenal that they were able to to make this work as well as it does yeah i i this movie was so much more emotional than i thought it was going to be um about the the, what you were saying about this being a miracle i was trying to think of like is it possible to do this with any other comic book movie franchise that we've had thus far maybe like x-men but X-Men already kind of already did it with Days of Future's Past. Yeah, right? yeah, they definitely yeah, they already did that with yeah, with the Days of Future Past by doing the the first class cast meeting the original franchise cast. So um yeah, the only way you could do it again was to be if you have like whoever the new X-Men are meet the the old um the <laughs> oldest ones or Fantastic you, you can four. have the old Fantastic Four, <laughs> yeah. the new Fantastic Four. <laughs> All three Fantastic Four teams. <laughs> <laughs> okay i don't think that's gonna happen no. uh okay 
I'll put links to all our Spider-Man articles. And by the way, we're going to have a ton of Spider-Man articles in the, the next few days. So check out SlashFilm.com for any – if you, you want to know anything about Spider-Man No Way Home, we got it all covered for you. This podcast is published on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at peter.slashfilm.com. And please, if you enjoyed this, head on over to Apple Podcasts, write us like a sentence, uh, write us a five-star review, tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you on Monday.